0: Starting a new series today called Freedom, and uh, I just want to, this is, we're actually going to look at a phrase or a sentence, a run-on sentence, probably some of you English people would say, well, that's a run-on sentence, but... For me, the idea of the phrase includes these four words that you guys see up here, but uh, the overall umbrella of the whole thing for me is just freedom and freedom in Christ and what that means to live for Him and walk in Him and, and have a relationship with Him, and it really is freedom. And so my hope over the next couple months is that we will take opportunity to look at our walk with Jesus and see whether or not we walk in true freedom in these areas, or if we tend to just do what we always do or do what we're supposed to do or whatever instead of walking in true freedom. Um, So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump in a little bit about freedom and then I'm going to introduce these words that you see in these banners up here. uh, Today is kind of an overview for the whole, for the series and then over the next eight weeks, two months, we'll... We're going to look at each of these words a little bit more. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. We've done this already in different ways through communion, through song, through prayer, through your word, through thanksgiving. And we just want to continue to seek you right now. Father, draw our hearts closer to you, mold them into your image so that we may know you more and be more like you, so that we can be uh, your light and represent you well in this world, so that others can know you. Open our minds, open our ears, open our hearts right now to receive uh, what you would give to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, if there's anything that's not of you, just, just take that out right now. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I looked up the word freedom in dictionary.com, and I took the first three uh, definitions. The first part of the first definition is this, the state of being free. I... I don't understand why they do that. I thought you weren't supposed to use the word. I mean, it's not the whole word, but it's part of the word, right? Uh, The state of being free. They do continue on, so it does help. But the state of being free or at liberty rather than in confinement or under physical restraint. The second one, exemption from external control, interference, or regulation. The third is the power to determine action without restraint. That's freedom, the definition First three definitions of freedom. Then it gets into some other areas, and and we'll talk about that. But the thing is, even when I read these definitions of freedom, to me, within freedom, there are still usually some parameters, right? I mean, freedom isn't complete freedom. I mean, you guys are free right now, right? Any of you can get up and walk out, and I can't do anything about it, right? Right? Well... If my daughter tries it. No. Um, but we're free. We're freedom. But there's still certain parameters because if there were no parameters even outside of, of our freedom, then that would be more like anarchy or chaos, right? If we truly had freedom. Because even within freedom, We operate with certain parameters. So even here as Americans, we are here living here in the United States and we talk about our freedoms and that we are free to do, but we still have certain rules, laws, things that we obey to help keep our living civil, right? And we do that because we honor each other and we honor where we live. And so these are different rules and, and laws that we've put in place to keep ourselves safe, to keep ourselves healthy or whatever we want to say. These are just... So even in freedom, there are still those things that had us in. I'm married. I've been married for 26 years. So it makes me a husband, right? I have freedom as a husband, right? Yeah? My wife lets me do a lot of things. Do you hear what I just said there? How I said that? She lets me. Um, so that's my freedom, right? I get to do many things. I get to enjoy my life. I get to go outside, do things. You know, I get to play. I get to have fun. I get to watch different shows that I want to watch. And she's okay with that. She sits there and says this again. Um, but, you know, she lets me watch it. She lets me. It's my freedom. Um, But even in that, because of my relationship with her, I honor her. And so there there are things that I do for her that could be with a little outside what maybe my freedom is. I I do the dishes and sweep. Um, I help out, not every week because the kids get to do dishes too still. Um, But I do those things um, because the next morning she wants coffee. And so the coffee stuff needs to be cleaned. So even within those freedoms, because I honor her, there are some Parameters, limitations. I can't just leave the dishes sitting there and not get done. I have to do them. Otherwise, you know, no coffee the next morning. And I don't want her to have to then wash it and then make the coffee. She might make me a separate cup. Then I don't know what's about. <laughs> she wouldn't do that. So even as we are free in Christ and we hear that statement, we hear that phrase, freedom in Christ, and we think about, well, wait a minute, if I'm free in Christ, how come it comes with so many rules? Anyone ever thought that? Am I the only one? I mean, it's something that the church has spoken of. You know, if you're going to become a believer, you've got to do all these things. My dad's folks, for the longest time, says, I can't follow Jesus because I do all these things. And if I become a Christian, I can't do any of these things anymore. You know, that's what becoming a believer of Jesus was. These, all these rules that now we have to follow. So how is that freedom in Christ? What does freedom in Christ truly mean? Do we truly understand what it means to be free in Christ? What that looks like? There are still going to be parameters because even within freedom, there are parameters. There are things that, that we hold on to that keeps it from being anarchy. The theme of freedom is throughout Scripture. Early on, God uh, comes to Abraham, and Abraham is, you know, there. He's got a relationship with God. He kind of goes into this dream time, and God comes, speaks to him as he's asleep, and he tells him, one of the things he tells him is that his descendants will live in bondage, that they will not be free. And this is something that Abraham has to deal with to think about. I've been promised that I will have all of these descendants, but now I'm being told that these descendants will live in bondage. How, 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 how exciting does that sound for your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids? But that's what it's talked about. And so then we go into and we see that these Israelites end up in bondage there in Egypt and they are serving and they are slaves and they're doing all of that. And so the book of Exodus is all about them coming up out of Egypt to come to the promised land and to be free, right? But if you continue reading in Scripture in the Old Testament, there's just time after time after time where the Israelites are continued to live in bondage all the way up even to the time of Christ where they're still under Roman authority and they are still in bondage. They are not free. They are not their own country. Ultimately, the Old Testament promises a deliverer for them so they won't be in bondage anymore and that delivers the Messiah. And so it even taints the way that they are looking for their Messiah, so that when even Jesus comes, they are expecting that freedom from the tyranny over them, and that's not the Messiah they get. Jesus continues talking about freedom. First in the book of Luke in chapter 4, verse 18, he talks about that he is there, he's quoting from Isaiah, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom For the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. And so Jesus reads this and proclaims that that is why he is there to do this. He's there to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking and he says, starting in verse 31, he says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will? (laughs) They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Is that true? That's not true. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who is a Who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So, Jesus here even talking about a different kind of freedom than what they are looking for. But still, this idea of freedom continues there in Scripture with Jesus. As you look into the readings of Paul, Paul speaks often of freedom, especially in the areas of Romans and in Galatians and in the Corinthian letters. And so, it's good for us to think about freedom. It's a theme in Scripture. What does freedom look like? What does that mean for us? Uh, A number of years ago, I came across this phrase. This phrase was a sentence, run-on sentence. Uh, I got it from a friend who had gotten it from a friend who had, apparently that other friend came up with this sentence. I don't know, run-on sentence. Um, And this is what it is. It says, as we embrace our identity in Christ, we grow in intimacy with our Father which leads us to walk in integrity through the Holy Spirit, allowing impact for the kingdom of God. And, and when I first heard this phrase, it was a phrase sentence that I just something that I really kind of struck me and that I really enjoyed, that I liked. And uh, we see the four different I words in there identity, intimacy, integrity, impact. And, and those are pretty, pretty good words that help us know who we are, or what our walk should be like. But I also like the idea that each one is part of a phrase. And we, have, we embrace our identity in Christ. And so we have there Jesus represented in our identity as we intimacy with our Father. And so now we know we're growing deep in our relationship with our Father and what that means to, to walk in Him. And then integrity through the Holy Spirit. Because I'll be honest with you, there's no way I can do integrity on my own, right? Anyone with me? The only way I'm doing that is through the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then if we have that relationship with the triune God, with the Trinity there, Christ, Father, Holy Spirit, that's what allows us to have impact for His kingdom. And ultimately, that's what it's all about, right? It's what we want to we be able to have <laughs> do, be something for Him. And show that we have a relationship with Him. And so today, this is just gonna be a quick overview of these things, but then over the next uh, couple months, we're gonna go a little bit deeper. And with each one, we're gonna spend two weeks, because I'll be honest with you, each one of these, um, there's just a lot there. Have you heard me say that? There's a lot there when you even just take these four words. And so I am limiting myself to two weeks per word. And that's what we're going to do over the course of the next two months and look at these. But today I just want to do a quick overview of where we're at. So our first one is this identity in Christ, identity in Christ. Do we fully understand who we are in Jesus? Do we fully understand. Now, I think if any of us in this room, if we knew, if we say, yes, I know Jesus is my Savior, we can say certain things about what that means and who we are. And if we've grown up in church, then it's been probably been real easy for us to learn a lot of those things, to memorize a lot of those things, and to hold those things in our head. The very first one that I know, that I remember, that I was taught from being a little kid, even because this was one of the very first scriptures that I ever memorized, was First John 1, 9, That tells me what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or this version, and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what are we? We We're forgiven. We are forgiven. Our identity in Christ, one of the very first things that we learn is that we are forgiven. And we can say that, and I would even say that if we were to leave this building and I were to stand out here and say, do you know Jesus is your Savior? Yes. Are you forgiven? yes. I think most all of us would say yes, because we could say that here. Yes, I'm forgiven. But then my question is, could we say that here? Some may be able to say that. Some of us may say, "Ah, well, I know I'm forgiven here, but am I really forgiven here? And then the next question is, if we know it here, if we know it here, do we know it and does it come out in our life that we are forgiven? Or is this something that we still don't, we don't live as forgiven? And I think for a lot of the American church, I would say, and I could be wrong, but in my experience, we don't always live like we're forgiven. It doesn't take much for the enemy to get us tripped up and remind us that we make mistakes, we sin, and we tend to sit there and stay there a lot of the time. I can't do this for Jesus because, you know, I still do this. So who am I? Well, you're forgiven. <laughs> I've said this before. If your life is a whiteboard and it's completely clean, but each time you sin, you get a mark on that board. How long did it take it for that, mark, that whiteboard to get clean? Well, it depends on how big it was, right? I say mine filled up with marks pretty quick, but when Jesus comes, he wipes that board clean, never to have a mark again until my next sin, Right? Oh, never to have a mark again. Never. Every time God goes back and says, hey, let's go look at Brian's whiteboard, and he goes and looks at it, wait, guess what? There's no more marks on it. Why? Because Jesus came and made it completely clean. But I would say that a lot of times we live our lives like it's all marked up again. We don't live in that forgiveness. And so we got to understand our identity in Christ that we're forgiven. As a result of that forgiveness, we are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. The new is here! That's how it's meant to be read. There's an exclamation point there. The new is here! Do we still get excited about that? Some of us have been Christians for a long time and we forget that we are a new creation. I have known Jesus for a long time. Uh, I, I have to do the math real quick now. I have known Jesus for coming up on 42 years. I've called Jesus my Lord and Savior. That's a long time. I am a new creation. Still today. Do I walk in that new creation? Or does it become old hat to us? Because what happens when something becomes old hat to us? It ends up in the closet. It ends up being avoided. We don't even look at it. It gets dusty. And it doesn't look new anymore. We are a new creation. Every day. Because we are forgiven. Every day do we walk as that new creation. We're forgiven. We're a new creation. We are also children of God. John 1, 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are his kids. Do we get excited about that still? Do you get excited about that still? What does that mean? We have access to God. I shared this a couple months ago. I'm gonna share it again. If my son Colby comes home and he goes into, comes in, goes through the living room, goes straight into the kitchen, opens up the cabinet, pulls out the bag of chips, and starts eating it. He will do it without even asking. Why? Because it's his house. It's where he lives and he wants chips and there they are in the cabinet. So he's going to eat them, right? The whole bag. (laughs) Leave some crumbs. (laughs) I left you some. Sometimes just laying there on the table even afterwards. But why? Because it's his home. Because he's my kid. It's my food. I put it there. He's allowed to come eat it. Do we live that way with God? Do we come and enjoy the benefits we have with Him just because we're His kids? Or too often we... We get to be His kids. We get access to the things that He gives us. Do we live and walk this way? Do we live and walk as forgiven? Do we live and walk as new creations, as His children? Does that excite us? Sometimes I wonder... It's our identity in Christ. Who we believe, who we know we are, who we believe we are, who we know we are, shapes how we live. Shapes how we live. If we have an understanding of who we are, we're going to live different ways as a result of that. If we know who we are in Christ, we're going to live differently. If we're kind of like, well, who am I in Jesus? Then we're going to live different ways. Do we know who we are in Christ? I am many things, and those many things shape who I am and how I live. Do we know those things? Second thing, for one, our identity in Christ. Two, intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with our Father. What does an intimate relationship with our Father look like? What does that look like? I'm going to say this. I think our world today has messed up the word intimate. I don't think our world understands what the word intimate means. Immediately today, and, and this is part of intimate, but it's not the only part of intimate. There's so much more. Sexual relationships is there, and it's a real thing. And yes, that's an intimate thing, but that is not the sole definition of intimacy. Intimacy is so much bigger than that. And, and I wish our world, I felt like, our, our, I don't feel like our world truly understands what it means to have intimacy with people. Because people can be, have intimate relationships, close relationships, without that side of things. But our world jumps straight to there pretty quick. John, John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus speaking here about remaining in his love. That's Intimacy. Jesus talking about his father. That's intimate. That's close. And what I like about this says, now remain in my love. That's a choice. That's something that I choose to do. Because I understand who Jesus is, now I get to remain in him. I get to choose to remain in him. I get to choose that intimacy with him. James, in chapter 4, verse 8, talks about being near. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Here again, we are choosing to move towards God and be in him. Abide in him. Abide with him. That is closeness, near, remaining in. These are intimate words. These are closeness. This is knowing him and knowledge in him. When I think about intimacy, I do think about the most intimate relationship any of us would have here on earth, and that is in marriage. And so when you look over at chapter 5, you get this, of Ephesians, you get this long description about what a husband and wife is, and what that relationship looks like. And then when he gets to the end there, verse 32, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So here's, here's Paul writing about this, and he's talking about the most intimate relationship that we can have here on this earth. But then quickly he takes it and says, but I'm not even talking about that intimate relationship. I'm talking about our intimate relationship with God. (laughs) It's meant to be intimate. We're supposed to have intimacy with our Father. But I, I would say that it's very hard to have intimacy with our Father if we don't even understand who we are in Jesus. We can gain a lot of knowledge about him, but can we truly understand a deep relationship with him if we don't know who we are? And really, this has the idea of coming out of this last series that we just did, Pursuing the Father's Heart, and that idea of different spiritual disciplines. A continuation of some of those spiritual disciplines that help us grow and have intimacy. I love I love. To pray, I love to talk with God, and I like to have those times where I just can focus on Him. One of the other things I like to do is I like to drive. I like to drive. Right now, I don't always get to drive because I'm teaching my daughter to drive, so she's always like, Can I drive? Can I drive? Can I drive? i will to tell you this it's a lot easier, it was a lot easier teaching my boys to drive than to teach my daughter to drive. It's not because they were boys and she's a girl. Uh, because they lived, in Mo- they lived in Montana when they learned to drive. In Montana, we lived in the valley where it was flat and all the roads are straight. And there's these huge shoulders on the road because that's where we push all the snow. And so it's just easy to drive straight with plenty of room on the right side. Okay? Here, there are hills and curves and no shoulders. And I'll tell you, when you're sitting in that pasture seat, it's a little bit scarier I mean, it's a little bit more challenging to be calm. Um, so I don't always get to drive because I'm teaching her. She's doing really well. She's, she really is. She's, she's doing great. Um, she's not ready for her license, but she's almost there. She's almost there. But I like to drive. And so whenever time she says, can I drive? I'm like, no, I, I want to drive. I like to drive. I like to drive and pray. I like to drive and worship when I pray. I don't close my eyes when I drive and pray. Um, But I only live four miles from here. I live right up the road, uh, 106, turn left right down there. Um, And so it's not a long drive to come in. Sometimes just when I feel like praying or worshiping or singing, uh, instead of turning right and coming down towards church, I'll turn left and go all the way up towards Clarksville and then get on 441 and go all the way up to Hollywood and then get on 17 and come all the way down past. So that way takes me about 25, 22, 25 minutes to go that way to come into work. So it's a little bit longer of a commute that way. I'll do that just so I can pray, just so I can worship. Because I love, just love those times, those moments of aloneness and intimacy with God. And we get those Sometimes at home because there's stuff going on at the house. I get them sometimes here because there's stuff going on here, but there when me, it's just me and him. Intimacy, times with him, spiritual disciplines, intimacy with our Father. Identity in Christ, intimacy with our Father, which then leads to integrity through the Holy Spirit. When we know Jesus, when we know God, when we understand who we are, when we have that closeness and we know him and we abide in him, then the integrity side of things tends to just fall kind of a little bit more into place because we're hearing from the Holy Spirit. We're free to live with him. We're not worrying about are there rules. We're not worrying about what are we supposed to do. We are living and breathing through the Holy Spirit. We're following Scripture. And that's how we end up living. 2 Corinthians 8, verse uh, 21. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. We want to do the things that honor God. Just like I want to do the things that honor my wife, not because I have to, because I want to. I don't do the things that that are, I, I don't, I don't do the things that are in God's character because I have to, I get to do those things. I don't stay away from the things that are against his character because I have to. I get to stay away from those things. It's not a list of rules. It's it's a it's a choice because I know him and I'm living in him, and so I want to. Stay away from those things, because I know those aren't the things from him. And so we do our best to walk and live in Him. And I'll be honest with you, I, like I said, I can't do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. Because I'm not perfect. And so when I say that, I'll also say this: um, there's a good chance I've made a mistake and messed up and uh, done something that something that might have upset one of you guys. That happens. I apologize for it. I may not even know I've done it because I'm a guy. We're not real sharp on those kind of things. I'm gonna be told. (laughs) So if I've done something, I apologize. If you need to come talk to me about it, come talk to me about it. Pastors aren't perfect. And I'll even say this, maybe somewhere in the past, another pastor has done something that's upset you or hurt you. And I want to, on their behalf, just say, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry. I want to apologize on their behalf. Because we're human, just like you guys. We're learning all this. Just we're doing this together. And so as much as I strive to represent Jesus well, it doesn't always happen. 1 Peter 1 verses 15 and 16 says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do for it is written, be holy because I am holy. We just came out of this at the end of Matthew chapter 5 where he says the same things. Not because we have to, not because we're being held to a set of rules that we follow, but because we know our Father and so we know what pleases Him so we desire to honor Him. And that's what we do. And we are sanctified, set apart, but being made sanctified, being sanctified as we become more like him. Titus chapter two, verse seven and eight. In everything set an example by doing what is good. In your teaching show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Again, I do all I can. I do all I can. We all, as we know our Father, should be compelled to honor Him. And the last part of this, one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 5 and 2, says, uh, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When I think about follow God's example, one of the pictures that comes to my mind is one that my parents have of me as probably a three-year-old standing in my dad's army boots with his big green t-shirt, army t-shirt going all the way down the top of the boots and his helmet on because who did I want to be like? I want to be like my dad. He was the coolest guy I knew back then. Now it's Darren, you know, I mean, right? <laughs> I wanted to be like my dad. My dad. And here's, here's a scripture that says we get to be like our dad. We get to follow his example and love. And that's what integrity is. And so we have these parts. And I would say that there's a good section of the American church that does these parts really well. We, 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 we know who we are. We, we uh, are close to God. We know a lot about God. We, we've, we've been through a lot of Bible studies. We, we've, we've, we know a whole bunch about that. And, then, and, and so we now, we know all the rules that we're supposed to follow and not follow. Right? So we can be that. But then how do we take that? The whole point of all of that is to get to this. Now, this is all working together at the same time. Lord, for some reason, God said, I'm leaving it to you, church, to grow. He gave that to us. And that's what we get to. We get to be an impact for his kingdom. We are the church. We get to build a kingdom. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then it will come. That's what we get to do. We get to take this out. And that's what the Alliance is about, taking this to the whole world so that they can know. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We get to tell people there's a way for us to be reconnected with God. That should excite us. Someone told you that there was a way to be reconnected to our Creator. And we accepted Jesus. Now we get to do and have that ministry for others. That's the impact. That's the impact. Matthew 22 says we get to love like Jesus. We get to love. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we get to do. We get to love like Jesus. And so there's two ways that we do this. We One, we get to impact our world and tell them about Jesus. But we also get to impact each other as family. We get to do that together. We get to spur each other on. We get help to get to help encourage each other to walk and be and know Jesus more and, and help each other do that. And so that's the impact for his kingdom. And so I want to read this phrase one more time. And we're going to see it a number of times throughout the next couple months. But as we embrace our identity in Christ, we grow in intimacy with our Father which leads us to walk in integrity through the Holy Spirit, allowing impact for the kingdom of God. My invitation to you would be this. Ask the Holy Spirit, what aspects of this is he speaking to you about? What's he speaking to you about? Are you free? Are you free in Christ? Do you understand what it means, your identity in him? Are you growing and free in the intimacy with the Father? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? I'm going to pray for us. The music team's going to come. We're going to close in a song. And in this final song, ask the Holy Spirit what he's saying to you today. And then don't leave today without doing something about that. Father, we love you and we thank you that you made a way for us to know you. And then as we know you, you give us privileges. You give us more than we can imagine, blessings. Help us to grow in that knowledge. Help us to grow in that intimacy. Help us to be impactful for your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand. Let's sing.